spark of an all-star team Combines the best minds from all over the scene We got friends of the show coming back, bringing laughs Jokes and they're also dropping facts So kick back, relax, and unwind What you're going to find is going to blow your mind Hi, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, host of Star Talk Radio I've recruited a crack team of scientists and science educators To help me bring the universe down to Earth And they are the Star Talk Welcome back to Star Talk Live here in Washington, D.C. I'm, uh, I'm here on the fabulous panel with Joe Firestone, Dr. Joe David Newman, Dr. David Newman, Hari Kunambalu, and uh, our beloved, uh, uh, beloved Eugene Merman. So uh, we're having nothing but fun here on Star Talk this week. We're talking about life on other worlds. We're talking about space science superheroes. And this segued into this search for life. And now we're talking about how we exactly would actually exactly go looking for life. We have some assets there on Mars right now, right? We have the Curiosity rover. We still have the Opportunity rover. We have some, uh, a lot of assets in orbit around Mars. And the idea, let me just, let me just uh, start by going back to begin to start with, why are we all so hot to look for life on Mars? Why not life on Mercury or Venus? Close by, Mars is the best place to look for life. And then we get further out into the solar system, and then we go to these ocean worlds, which even look you know, better. But again, uh, Earth and Mars really are sister planets. From and it looks like Mars was once wet. It's the most Earth-like environment on the surface of another planet that we know of. And in we have a lot system. of evidence that in the past it was much more Earth-like. So... Uh, do, we, do we have a sense of why it's uh, so sad there now? Yes. Uh, it doesn't, it's not big, as big as the Earth, so it cooled half, half off faster. So it uh, does not have the churning iron in the middle that we have on Earth, uh, creating a magnetic field, which makes the solar wind particles uh, go downhill when they get to the North and South Pole. But on Mars, apparently, uh, these same particles scrape the atmosphere off scraped it into space. So it lost its atmosphere. It ablated. We can Mars. see it. It's still going on today. Our MAVEN spacecraft is in orbit. Uh-huh. Check out, you know... And you can see the atmosphere. We can see the ions ablating. It's only 1% atmosphere. Mars has a 1% compared to Earth. 100% here has 1% in its carbon dioxide. Yeah. So we see it's not protected by that it magnetic shield. It lost its shield. water. Is there We're any still way trying to, to put an atmosphere back on? So hang on. So hang on. How are we going to get there, you guys? We, we just had a human's orbiting Mars workshop. Uh, the Planetary Society pitched a humans orbiting Mars uh, architecture, as it's called. And along with all the many things uh, NASA was going to do was develop these solar electric propulsion spacecraft. And how does that work? And the solar electric was going to go out to an asteroid, the asteroid redirect retrieval mission, right? How does solar electric propulsion work, and how is it part of going to Mars? Right, so uh, when we go to deep space, we get back Earth, Moon, cis-lunar, right? That's the next step. That's phase two. First on space station, low Earth orbit. This 2020s will be on our space launch system. That's our heavy lift launch. Space launch system is a massive word for big rocket. Big rocket. Big rocket. We haven't had one like this for 40 years. Move over Saturn V. It's more powerful. More powerful than a Saturn V. (laughs) And these rockets, these are made of your standard metals. Your tins, your... your 
standards. That's a great question, Joe. Yeah, using using aluminums, using additive manufacturing, though, to make it it's much more efficient. So we're using you know high tech, but big rockets. But we're basically using Home Depot stuff. You know, we're using the screws and the. Yes. Yeah. Nice stuff. Yeah. Nice. High end. High end. Yeah. Yeah. You got to go to that. Imagine the fanciest Home Depot you can and double it. Right. And then we get out to systems. So now we're in deep space, okay? We're in deep space. Not quite yet to Mars yet. That's phase three. But in phase two, we're into deep space, and we have to demonstrate some technologies. Because you don't just get to Mars in one No, leap. but here, let me just so tie space, this in. electric propulsion. You want to know, in, in space propulsion. But here's the thing. Electric. As Joe just said, Home Depot-style rockets, chemical rockets. Is what you're, you know what I mean, Joe? You got a liquid oxygen. You got some other fuel. You mix them with a fuse, and they burn like crazy. And they make their cool noise, and then they go into space. The shh. Shh. But it's usually... Really? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then what happens after that? Then you're okay. in space, and the, there's some reason you don't want to use chemical rockets anymore, and that is? Well, we need, we, we need breakthrough technologies as well. We need new technologies. So what we're investing in now, now we're getting to the moon, right? So your deep space, our top technologies we're investing in today... But is isn't it that in you just space can't, propulsion? It's hard to carry all that it's much. It's hard fuel, to carry right? cargo and fuel. So, it's so what is a gravity well. In space propulsion, of? so there's different ones. But so we're talking about solar electric propulsion. That can you know. move, move big cargo, <laughs> lots of mass. Heavy mass goes slowly, but that's all right. We'll get there. So it moves a lot of cargo. You know, you're going and on the a camping slowly. trip. We're rockets in space. Yeah, we're 17, yeah, we're more than 17,500 you know, miles per hour, but still slow for space. You know, <laughs> so, for, oh, wait, so, so for so space speed. How fast speed. is fast for space for us? Well, you know, light, light speed is fast, right? Yes. Yeah, Sorry, but Sorry. meaning... Joe, oh, when Joe. When you say you, slow, you mean as fast as we can make. Not, not yeah. like we're... Slower. Let's say, you know, a little bit, you know, a little so, slower because you want to get your people there as quickly as possible. So big rocket, let's go fast. About eight months, you know? That's, that's, that's fast it. for us. Punch, Punch it. it. Eight-month trip because we've got to get boots on Mars. We'll get in orbit. But this in-space propulsion, solar electric, that's a nice candidate. Constant acceleration, so just keep going all the way. You know, let's carry, carry your goes. groceries, you know? You know? Carry the stuff you need with us. We're, we always so, bring a lot of stuff. You know, Just, does we, it arrive later after the people? Well, we'd be popping them off, right? So yeah, we get so this what we want to do, what we want to do is have stuff in place before humans show up. You want to land some tents and fuel, fuel depots. We said habitats, so that's what we're investing. But I, in. I just want to talk for a second about the rocket equation. Who doesn't? Oh, I love the rocket. Yeah. Equation. So the the big thing that makes a rocket go, and you've seen this, Joe, is the stuff coming out the back is going really fast. The classic, right? the classic orange in the child's drawing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After burners, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. The orange. So it's going really fast out the back, but uh, it takes, you need a lot of fuel, and you reach a point where you can't get the rocket going too much faster because you can't get the exhaust going that much faster. Yeah, right? that's called specific impulse. So yeah. that's what we call it in yeah. the rocket equation. So in solar electric propulsion, we're going to take a big tank of xenon. Is that right? For xenon example. Good. Sure. What's xenon? Oh, don't toy with me. It was a fantastic movie on the Disney Channel. <laughs> it's a noble gas. How noble? Extremely noble. Yeah, you should probably... So it doesn't... A noble gas got this fabulous British name because it doesn't chemically react with things, except in extraordinary circumstances. It's really hard to make xenon interact with any other chemical. <clears throat> and it's kind of heavy as, th as, molecule, as atoms go. Uh, 
What's the atomic number of xenon? Like 129. No, one, no. It depends what. Uh, the atomic um, mass. Oh, the mass, yeah. 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 Well, that's what we're talking mass. Yeah, so anyway, you get a, uh, a tank of this stuff liquefied, and you, you get it by getting the atmosphere, uh, getting a, a big tank of air on Earth cold, and the xenon separates out in a layer like a parfait, and then they uh, extract it, put it in a tank, and then they put it on this rocket. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's nothing <laughs> it's good better. Stuff. Well, you breathe it all the time in tiny amounts. And look, I've been doing it my whole life, and I'm fine. Uh, no, so <laughs> then you have solar panels. Is this right, David? Yes. And well, they so make far, electricity. So good. They need electricity. Then we have Power. a window screen looking thing, and it electrically attracts the xenon from its little tank and shoots it out the back shoots at it. super Iron fast propulsion. speeds, right? Yep. And that's really an ion that's drive, really ion like propulsion. in uh -huh. science fiction. So? so to get to an asteroid, people proposed making these things, right? Yeah, we're, doing, we're using ion propulsion today. We use it right now, but does it scale up? Again, back to the Mars mission, that's humans, that's a big mission. So where do we use uh, ion propulsion right now? We use it in a couple, some of our solar systems. Yeah, Dawn. Dawn spacecraft. Yeah. Ceres. Yeah. One of the coolest dwarf planets we've had, around. You guys we've know Ceres? We've used it together. literally from science spacecraft. fiction of like 20 years ago, oh, no, but now it's real. It's, yeah. it's science Great. fact. Science Good. fact, we're doing it. It's on our Dawn wonderful. spacecraft. We're so in Ceres. Just, if people didn't know we're in Ceres, we're, yeah. we're you in You just Ceres. mentioned Ceres. What we used to call an asteroid, we now call a... Dwarf planet. Ceres is our dwarf planet. Because it's big enough to be a ball. It's big, it's round, it's even got... Little spots of maybe water ice on the surface, and so we're and sending. And it has Huna Mons, cool, cool mountain. Where is this? Five kilometers high, twenty kilometers wide. Ceres. No, move so over Mount that? Everest. It's where? in the asteroid belt between nice. between Mars and Jupiter. Yeah. So there's no more asteroids. No, there no. are asteroids, but some of them are big it's enough an to belt? also be dwarf planets. A lot I of asteroids. See. So we've gotten a new identity. It's yeah. a new yeah. name. And a big one. Yeah. The big thing for me as a uh, as a space buff, when it gets to be a ball, then I'm, I'm starting to feel planet-like. If you're still, if you don't have enough uh, rocks and soil to form, to be pulled together enough by its gravity to become a sphere, then it's asteroidy. It's rocky. I feel like and this is going to change kids' little an leagues. Anything big enough, <laughs> anything big enough will be round, just because self-gravity will pull it into a spherical shape. Right. Oh yeah. You knew, you knew that. Yeah, I was going to say that as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so all this aside, pretty sure asteroid redirect uh, retrieval mission is not going to get funded, probably. It might. But anyway, the solar electric propulsion idea is going to be used to go to Mars, right? Now, what Absolutely. are we going to do with we're that? We're counting on it. Solar electric propulsion, we're counting on that. Let me tell you a few other ones we're investing in right now. Deep space habitats. Incredible. You know, public, private, again. Industries working with us, deep space habs. We're so sending people. What we goes on in the deep space habs? Life support systems. You got to figure out to get. You know, we're going way beyond low Earth orbit, so we need deep space habs. Beam, Bigelow's beam, just just inflated, expanded this week beam on space is, station. Beam is an acronym. Yeah, for the Bigelow expandable module on so space it's a station. Balloon. Uh, we a like nice one. Expandable habitat. What is it made? What's the material that it's made of? What is the material that... Paint? It's not cheese. Not cheese. No, no, no. No, so it's some fabulous fabric. But it's just in low Earth orbit on space station now to test out this technology. Then we have habitats. We call them deep space So it's a, big, it's a big inflatable thing attached right. to the International Space... You got me doing it with the hands. But now. not too big. I mean, space station is big. A football field size, right? 
These are smaller halves. We need to test them out. Now, number one, radiation. What about radiation protection? What about radiation? I was, years ago, people said if you tried to go from the Earth to Mars, the radiation would kill you. But so now people have rethought it that, is, right? It is a problem. Uh, the radiation is, a, is one of the serious physical problems with sending people to Mars. And we know a lot more about this now because of the uh, Mars Science Laboratory, which is our uh, Curiosity rover, which is on Mars now doing wonderful things. But on the trip to Mars, this instrument called RAD... The Rad, Radiation Assessment radical. Detector. Radiation which, Assessment Detector. Yeah, and I'm actually a co-investigator on that instrument, so it's near You're and dear to my heart. I'm a co-I on the RAD team. And one of the things that was cool we were able to do with RAD, it was designed to measure the level of high-energy radiation on the surface of Mars, on the rover, which it's doing in a wonderful way. But we realized that we could also tur- turn it on before we got to Mars. It's the one instrument on the rover that we turned on while it was still in the spacecraft on the trip to Mars because it allowed us to measure the amount of radiation in interplanetary space and basically simulate what a human would experience in terms of radiation on the way to Mars. And so it's the first time we ever did that, and now we really know much more than we did before so this mission. will it kill you or so not? It will not, not kill you, but it will put you at greater risk of getting cancer, which could ultimately kill you. So but it's not, like, it's not like just going to Mars is going to fry you and you'll be dead when you get there. But it is. it will, by a few percentage points... You'll die when you get back to Earth. Well, <laughs> you'll be, it's equivalent to, you know, you, you know, you go to the doctor and you get like a, a, a what they used to call, like a CAT scan. Yeah. Um, so, and that, that, you know, if It'd you do like that... you getting an eight-month CAT scan. If you do that a lot, you're slightly increasing your chances. So you don't yeah. want to do that all the time. Chances of getting cancer. So your life's... Yeah. yeah it's radiation. as if you did that once a week. So and we look at on your way to life Mars. Ex- we look at total life dose, total life radiation dose, and we're going to protect the astronauts. That's what we're mapping. We're taking this data. Now we're looking at the Mars radiation environment, and then it's our job. How can we protect the people? How can we protect the spacecraft? You don't want to fry your instruments either. Plus, so we protect the people, and we have some interesting ways to do the, that. The kind that, of people that want to be astronauts, if you say, well, you got an extra 1% chance of getting cancer, I'm in, say, I'm going, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. But you still want to protect them. Absolutely. So what are some yeah. of the ways that we... Oh, like, so, like, is it similar to like when you go to the dentist and they take pictures of your mouth, they put the thing over yes. your... Yes, there you go. It's that that's kind exactly. of that's the shielding. Exactly. So high density shielding. is very good for shielding, especially for, you know, uh, galactic cosmic radiation that we're going to see it on Mars. created the Fantastic so, Four, for instance. Right. But <laughs> when, right. we're in the, when we're in this... There you go. Superheroes. Um, so but in the craft, um, water, because we like water to drink. It's pretty high density. Oh, yes, it actually I'm is a big pretty, fan. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good radiation shield. So it, there's interesting it, concepts in the vehicle, high it, density materials. We're going to take water anyhow. It'd be nice to kind of live in the water walls. That'll really help the astronauts. And does it harm the, the water for it to be radiated for you to no, drink it? No, the water doesn't care at all. Water? No, 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 meaning the water doesn't care, but when you drink it, it doesn't matter to you. To no, drink. no, no. You're okay. That's you a great if question. Any, if, anything, right if anything, if there were any little bugs in the water that you didn't want there to be, it would, you know, it would make kill it nice and clean. Yeah. So you'd have a jacket, you'd have a, a ball, a sphere, a shell of water around your space. Like a waterbed. Waterbed. Like a waterbed like, to space. It's a good concept. Great MTV cribs. When we get yeah. to Mars, um, you know, don't want to put it in the suit because you want to be mobile, lightweight. But uh, you know, lava tubes and there's a lot. You know, volcanic. So, so where, are gonna hide, where are we going to hide? Where are we going to live? Yeah. yeah, underground caves, things like that. These are all actually amazing shields. So in hang on. What of, is there space underwear? Has that been discussed? Like, what are the sexual side effects of uh, 
radiation and the... I'm just getting to the question I'm sure you were all considering from the get-go. Like, what happens, you know, like, is there extra protection in those areas? How is Scott Kelly's long-term, long-distance relationship? I'm sure he asked that question. There was no way he wasn't asking that question. I think think if you're going to have children... Do it before you go to Mars? Or at least put some in the freezer. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, yeah. that's a good idea. Or have but, one before and then have one after and see if the second one's a mutant. Yeah. Oh. That's the scientific approach. Or, <laughs> I think here at AwesomeCon, uh, let me rephrase that, uh, a friendly amendment, if the second one has superpowers. Because oh, right. that's you what go. you get. You know, if you're a superhero, a lot of times you were irradiated. Maybe you were bitten by a radioactive spider. I don't have to tell you. Maybe what's been irradiated is just your father's ding-dong. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you use the scientific term for penis. I'm a gentleman. <laughs> so uh, just as far as I know, a Ding Dong is not an acronym. It's a... Uh, no, it's uh, just the thing it is. <laughs> <laughs> so when, you know, when you say Ding Dong, I'm looking over at the uh, interpreter here and just wondering what... Yeah. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. Or, or if you're a lady, you're Doodle. <laughs> Let her that was so worth it. Uh, it's good. That was good. She explained. Where were we? Where were we? We're I think in a we couple were going places. to Mars. We're on our way to Mars. <laughs> we're on our way to Mars. Sir. Now, you mentioned the radiation uh, detection instrument. What other instruments would you take? Why would you take them? And then, fundamentally, everybody, everybody, would you go to Mars if you had a chance to go to Mars? What instruments would you take? If I was going to Mars. Uh, yeah. Or what are you going to send? What are you going to do? I want to... The thing that I most want to do if I were going to go to Mars is look for fossils. Fossil so life. These would be bacteria in I a would mat. Take, I would take rock hammers and drills and a microscope. microscope. A scanning electronic microscope if I can get away with making one small enough. and To carry there. Because right now, there. scanning electron microscopes are big... Uh, yeah, but, there, five, uh, but one thing that NASA's massive. really good at is making things small when Shrinking. we need to and put a little technology development into it. I would want, on my Mars laboratory with my astronauts there, I would want to be able to go out and drill and f- find samples drill, in the most promising samples, sites. And I want to look for um, the isotopes, so I'd want a, a really good um, mass spectrometer to look for isotopic signs of life, for, for signs that life had altered the chemicals in the past, and I would really want to look actually for physical fossils and the right kinds of so, deposits. So, let me say, I, uh, my father was a rock hound. Like the rocks. Every rock tells a story. My uncle was a geologist. And the way you're describing this to me, Dave, David, is um, geology tools. Yes. But what are astrobiology tools? And let me observe. Who was that? What was everybody's favorite movie this year? Martian. The Martian. The Martian did not Captain have... America's Civil War? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you may, you may be right. How, okay, single clap. <laughs> also, Just one clap. How many people liked The Martian? How many people liked... Captain America Civil War. Ooh, oh, that's that? close. Yeah, but also I have the year correct. <laughs> oh, you're talking about... I was going on... Year. But Eugene, I was in my fiscal. Yeah. September, <laughs> October enough. 1, September yeah, 30. Yeah. yeah. October 1, September 30. So... The Martian did not, that mission, uh, if you read the novel or uh, enjoyed the movie, they did not have an astrobiologist as such. 
uh, should they have? Was that a shortcoming, or is that just it's science fiction, get over it, Bill? And uh, so much of that movie or that story was good, was accurate, was scientifically fabulous. What non-geologic instruments would you take? Oh, I thought so... Well, first, we're taking the people. That's what I'm about. We're taking the people and our rovers and machines because that's how we work better. We will explore tens, a hundred times more of Mars if we get there and we're mobile and we're working in teams, people. I've heard this said that uh, what our best rovers do in a week, a human would do in less than five minutes, maybe even less than a minute. So it's order of yeah. magnitude. We're much more you know, mobile and quicker. So we're, we're all in this together. And uh, what other our instruments? robots and our people. Our robots and people. We're to, yeah. It's well, just what instruments team. would you take? What other instruments? Well, actually, back to life support systems and bioregeneratives. I actually would uh, make sure I could uh, make oxygen, bring it, you yeah, know, you make oxygen. Yeah, you want start on that. And water, you know, <laughs> things like that. There's not enough there for us yet. So I'm kind of worried about staying alive. So I'd like some water, like some oxygen but to let's breathe. let's say you got that problem grow, solved. Grow Bill, plants, you know, it's, it's funny the way you phrase the question, non-geological instruments, because... The word geological has geo, which means earth. So any of these instruments on Mars well, let me rephrase are areological, right? Uh, which Aries is Mars. And anyways. I was um, going to say so, that as well. Okay. So, <laughs> so if we want to understand the ancient story of Mars, then we're going to apply a lot of the same tools we use to understand the ancient rocks and the ancient story of Earth. So, so we look at ancient sediments because they're what capture the atmosphere too, the bubbles, the okay, bubbles of air. Okay, but hang on a sec. The Viking missions had some chemistry thing that everybody got excited about, right? Uh, because that was it, wrong, though, right? Well, one guy says maybe not so wrong. Okay. So <laughs> one that guy. Was a, but that was a biology experiment. Yeah. That was uh, the spiritual equivalent of a, of a Petri dish, Sure. right? So what is the spiritual equivalent of a... Let's say uh, Mark Watney has it all figured out. He can breathe and uh, grow potatoes and whatever he's going to do to take care of himself. How is he going to find or she going to find evidence of life on Mars? What instruments do we need? Okay. Do the instruments, but let me tell you, I want to um, say, you know, who are the people? Because you asked about, is it the astrobiologist? I, I hope not. I hope it's not a single discipline of anyone because we need, you know, a whole new education. So this is, uh, you know, point you need know a little astrobiology, right? You want to know your geology? Mm, you know, I'm thinking an MD might be, you know, a little medical knowledge. So we really need cross-disciplinary trained folks. So I okay. hope it's not just an astrobiologist. But what you just you described is astrobiology, because astrobiology is a sort of polydiscipline. If you go to an astrobiology meeting, there's people talking about geology, people talking about astronomy, chemistry, but glaciology, right. but philosophy. Right. So, but not botany. So you do need a few different people. Well, a few different that people. Too. But I'm all about so, steamed. I'm all I mean, about I, steamed. I, I, we need I agree the with STEM what you're fields, saying. But the artists have to be there. The designers, we're, we're all in. We need everyone. Yeah. Also yeah. psychics. Yes. <laughs> Psychics, comedians, you're yeah. gonna we, need some laughs. We, we are gonna. This is a cycle, you know, cycle yes. social. This is a tough trip. But if so we, we really think people. we're looking for extant life, then we want to bring, you know, petri dishes, and we want to try to culture stuff. That's what I'm now, saying. what are you going to use for your agar in your petri dish? You don't know what Martian bugs like, so you got to get very clever there. And that's why I'm I'm drawn more towards microscopes and things where you don't necessarily assume too much about what that stuff is doing chemically. You just want to see if you figure if there's a bug, you're going to recognize it. Now, speaking of the bugs, do we have any concern that, uh, by the way, what are the geologists crazy for? What are they just nutty for? The I would have said planetary geologists, but you want to go aerologists? Well, uh, the, that's a 
awkward word, but yeah. geo. I get you. I'm down. I'm hip. Yeah. The, the but they all want to bring Aries. back. The geologists all want to bring back samples. They're crazy for yep, it. If retreat. you take a geology course, you get a rock hammer, you go to the rocks and you knock them open and you bring them back to your dorm room and your friends think you're having issues. And uh, uh, they want to bring back a sample. It'd be three steps. 2020 rover drills into the soil, picks cash them up. Mm -hmm. 2022 uh, flies them up into Martian orbit. Then 2024 or 5 uh, brings them back to the International Space Station and we open them up and take a meeting, right? Take a meeting. But is there any concern that we're going to bring back the Martian microbes of death? There's what are you going to so do much. about that? There's a slight concern. But I would oh, say very, concern. very slight. slight. Very slight. Um, uh, is it know, worth the risk, Mr. Bond? Yes, because uh, here's the yes. thing. You can't explore with zero risk. If we wanted to be perfectly safe, we would not, never bring back a rock from Mars. If you wanted to be perfectly safe, you would never leave the house in the morning, right? So uh, anything interesting involves a certain amount of risk. But uh, we're like not going to... befriending scorpions. Yeah, yeah exactly. There <laughs> yeah. could be like nasty scorpions. things. But, but this is why we're doing the precursor missions. And this is also why we have protocols. If we do bring back a sample of Mars, there are requirements to keep it very carefully isolated and... And like Area 51. Even, there's like Area 52, man, you haven't even heard of it. It's, it's really secure. Uh, so you guys, all right, now to the questions, to the questions, to the questions. We'll start over here. Are you, is that a NASA shirt you're wearing? What do you got? Oh, uh, uh, Doctor Who, sorry. Doctor, no, Doctor <laughs> Close Who. Close enough. All right. Let me uh, just say, I got the time, all right? <laughs> so, so many NASA technologies designed for space exploration have become wonderfully useful for life here back on Earth. Uh, what new technologies created for our journey to Mars, the ones maybe we haven't heard of, that uh, you have uh, hope and are very excited for, uh, for us back here who don't get to travel? Just a, a couple real quick. Um, so in ultrasound, por portable ultrasound, again, we're interested in our astronauts' safety and health and welfare. So all these miniaturized um, tools, so we use that every day now back down here on Earth, you know, for the medical field. We talked a little bit about bone loss and osteoporosis, you know, trying to help out those things. Um, some great, you know, materials developments are coming up as well from Space Station. Uh, 1,600, 1,600 spin-offs every year. And uh, we're giving you guys some IP. Great new thing. And as that IP is out there, if you want to do a startup or already have a company, it's yours for the taking. No but can you name a specific one that's ultrasound, going to be yeah. for Mars? Well, well, that's for Mars. Again, our space station is for Mars, getting our humans there. So we have um, miniaturized ultrasound. It's no, really miniaturized important. Ultrasound, yeah. Miniaturized, yeah, ultrasound, but hand-carrying. You know, you're not, you're not in the tag to that huge thing. We're looking at bone scanners, ultrasound. So you can ultrasound. do ultra ultrasounds on the go. On the go. Yeah, yeah, like, I could do it on the subway, like yeah. a normal person. Yeah, just take it with you. Wearables. Cool. No, we're pushing, you know, the wearable technologies, these kind of things. This is, what, this is what we're doing. So that's about three, four examples. So what would you do, though? The astronaut's out there in space, and she, he or she finds some problem with the ultrasound machine. We hope we have enough medicine to deal with it. We'll miniaturize that, too. Okay, cool. We got that done. It's done. Uh, over here. So... So if the only life on Mars existed three and a half billion years ago, and it's all fossilized now, what, other than having cell wall cell membranes, what could you possibly learn from fossils that would actually be informative? Ah. Oh, let me just, can I, I'm just going to say it this way. Dude. <laughs> Dude. Just think, 
does the stuff on Mars have DNA? Or is it some whole new, whole nother type of life we haven't even thought of? Just think what it might do for medicine. Just, I mean, oh my goodness, you know, it's this thing. What are you guys going to find on Mars if you find fossilized ancient it, bacteria? It would bum out creationists in a way that I would enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, that alone is maybe worth it. But I, 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 do, I do, I do that. think that the gentleman has an interesting question, though, because if this stuff was really billions of years old, the DNA and things like that might have been destroyed. There, it might be frustratingly hard to figure out what it was chemically doing, but I still think just seeing the, the shapes and sizes and structures of those cells and being able to compare it to anything on Earth. Exactly, Mr. even if they are cells. Well, that's a great question. Just the fundamental, anything we observed about it would be the first inkling we had of what life can do elsewhere in the universe. And for one thing, there's the question of, is it like, it, are we related to it? And hopefully we could tell that just from the morphology, the shapes. If we when we find a stromatolite, right, this would be a layer of fossilized ancient microbes. How do we know their shapes and how do we know their microbes and how do we know everything? Well, some of that is from analogy to modern day life. Uh, there are things that are alive today that are very similar to our ancient stromatolites. We wouldn't necessarily have that advantage on Mars. But, I mean, just that first order question, are we related to the stuff? I think we could tell that by looking at if it, if it is cells and what they're like. And that's one of the big questions about Martian life. Is it from the same origin? Because we know stuff can be transported from between Mars and Earth when the solar system is young, there's stuff smashing into the planets, there are chips of Mars landing on Earth and vice versa. So it could be related to us. So that's, that's one thing we could tell, I think, by looking at them. It would just then, be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. where did amazing. life start? It'd be Earth awesome. or Mars? So it's Mars very reasonable, everybody. It's, not, it's extraordinary and it's way out there, but it's not crazy to suggest that life started on Mars Mars was hit with an impact tour three billion years ago. Woo, 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 except in outer What's space. What's the sound it made when it came here again? Yeah, that's the thing. There's no sound. It's just... And then... Uh, For those who are just beyond. listening, uh, Bill Nye just did something very interesting with his finger. The woo, woo, woo. Yeah, yeah, yes. The twirling then, gesture. Yes. And then you and I are descendants of Martians. Yeah. That would be just... I'm the Martian I'm looking for. <laughs> well, there you go. Beautiful. Or, That's the name or, of my autobiography. Or it could have gone the other way, and we could find something on Mars that was a remnant of some early stage of life that we have no memory, no sign of on Earth. We could go to Mars and learn something about early life on Earth because it's more likely that we'll find an ancient fossil on Mars where there's been less geology and less reprocessing than we, we would find something that old on Earth. So it could go either way. <laughs> Yeah, so here's what, here's what we want to do, you guys, uh, to make this podcastically exciting. Can we ask questions that have to do with this topic, with exploring life, uh, uh, paying for it, the technologies involved, and so on? So, yes, over here. Hello, Mr. Knight. Um, so we spent a lot of time on designing rovers that can move around on the surface of Mars. What if we instead designed a, a lander to land in one place and then leverage the technology we have on Earth to drill deep into the planet's surface? We did that, that you know, and with the, the Phoenix lander. Uh, the Phoenix lander landed uh, in the, near the North Pole of Mars. 
and found water ice right below the sand, right below the soil. And so now everybody's all hot to drill down even deeper. Uh, David, do you know how deep we want to drill down? Oh, we'd like to go meters and meters and look, you know, drill as well as take data meters. And uh, we need uh, kilometers and tens and hundreds of kilometers to thousands when we go to the ocean worlds to drill. So this drilling technology, you know, we're all about it. But you need everything. You need mobile, you know, so you want to go around the surface again. You want to explore. So, you know, probably go pole to pole around the equator. So some stationary, some orbiters, and then some rovers. So, so, did, so sir, did that answer your question? Um, yeah, my, I was just wondering if there was, it's like, would that help us find the, not the poles, but underneath the... Yeah, so there... people speculate, you know, people, there's some people who are really into this, that there's more mass of life, more biomass on Earth below the surface than there is on the surface. And there's a lot, and that includes the oceans, right, yes, Dr. Ocean yeah, worlds, yeah. absolutely. And, and particularly on Mars, you, you, I mean, your, your idea is a good one, and people are looking at this because what we've learned from this radiation on the surface is that it's probably not enough to be buried on Mars to a shallow depth because that radiation does reach the surface and penetrate. So a few meters at least, and, you know, 10 meters would be great to really be below that area that's where life would be easily destroyed by radiation. The problem is it's very hard to drill 10 meters deep on Mars, but it is something that we're, we're trying to figure out I mean, drilling 10 meters on Earth, you know, it takes a big derrick and a crew of rouseabouts with the hats and stuff. And one time it was <laughs> Elvis Presley. So send us your great yeah, ideas. One of his yeah. movies, I mean, that yeah. would probably get NASA a lot more money if you, if you were drilling and you, and you told the government that you found some Martian oil. <laughs> You'd oh, get so much money to go up I there. Like it. Yeah, and that's Mars. Hari, wait, wait, there's more. You know, oil on Earth comes from ancient microbes, oh, from yeah. the ancient swamps. If we found Mars oil, like, whoa. Black oh, gold. No, we, don't need, we don't actually have to find it. We just have to tell people we that just, we found it. Oh, we don't have then to. all the oil companies will give us money to do more drilling or whatever, and then we can do what we want to do. I really don't think we should be talking about this on the radio. <laughs> <All right. laughs> So let's get another question on this side. Hi guys, uh, Bill, been a big fan my whole life. My question revolves around uh, space travel, specifically faster than light travel. Now there's severe limitations. With yeah, travel. faster than light travel does have severe limitations. <laughs> you know, not even light can go faster than light. Yeah, uh, I know there's so many hiccups in. Oh, yeah, it's some hiccups, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering if you guys knew of any prominent theories that would get us you know, even a fraction of that speed. A fraction? Well, yeah, a car A fraction would. is easy. A fraction. We can do a fraction. <laughs> but but, but the, if the fraction is, is close to one or greater than one, it's very, very hard. So everybody, there's, right now, there's, no one knows any way to go faster than light. When you write a science fiction story, it's a fabulous thing to be able to get places very fast, and it's great if when you show up there, everybody speaks English. That's really good. <laughs> but, but, the be but you can maybe fold space and then travel through it, so it's not that you're going faster than light, it's that you're just folding I saw space. that episode. But that's <laughs> but, a real theory, right? Inception it, was very it, good. It, in terms of there are solutions to the general theory of rel relativity that allow you to talk about warped space and the, you know, the curvature of space-time and all that. The problem is there's nobody that really has any idea if you can actually do that. There's no promising technology where we just have to develop it a little farther and then we can do that. But it that. isn't necessarily physically impossible. It's just that we don't fully understand it. Right? Uh, it's not even... It's not clear. Here's what it's... 
How about this, David? How about this, David? It's, uh, it's clear that there's no way to exclude that possibility. Right. We don't know enough to know for sure that we can't do it or okay. possibly could do it. So, but you know, I recommend figuring out how to fold space. They don't think you can't, so it might be possible. So if, you, if those of you haven't heard of Starshot, people want to build a very small spacecraft, like palm of your hand size spacecraft, bzzz it with a laser and push it to another star system. And this would take thousands of years, but people think it would be cool. And they claim they could so do it moderately cool. Well, and I kind of <laughs> like it's back to I kind of like it. it's back to you know let's plan not just for the next generation, you know, but the next ten and hundred generations. So kind of has that. And there's no violation of the laws of physics. We could do that with what we know about the laws of physics. Make it really tiny, accelerate it as fast as you can, and get as close to the speed of light as you could, and you could get to Zoom. the nearest exoplanets in a few hundred years. That is certainly feasible. There's some technical problems, some technological problems to solve, but there's no magical physics in that. So that, to me, that's a really exciting way to think about this because that, I'm sure, could be done. We just have to... And so uh, then this other star system has a palm-sized piece of Earth hardware show up, and it's very likely it would just go right past whatever exoplanet is there and just be a thing to do, like... Like, well, hopefully it like sends what? something back, like a well, that something back. Great, but have you ever taken a flashlight and just pointed it at space and sent little signals, hoping somebody's going to? I mean, not much happens usually, but it's a cool idea. Usually. Usually, yeah, right. They've answered my call. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go over somewhere. here, sir. Uh, Bill, thank you for a little closer to the microphone. Yep. Um, tap, tap, tap. There we go. Now there we go. Um, so first of all, thank you for inspiring a new generation towards science. Lord knows we need it. Um, you guys talked a lot about the uh, physiological impact from deep space travel into Mars. What are some of the psychological impacts that we're going to have to deal with going to Mars and beyond? Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what I mentioned. So when we talk about keeping our astronauts safe and, and healthy, and I mentioned you know, psycho, psychosocial, they're, they're right up there on my, my top list, you know. Um, and it's teamwork. Because we're going to send teams, all of us, in a little capsule, you know, smaller than our bathroom, for you know, close to this four-year mission, and uh, so we smaller than our bathroom. This ship is pretty small, yeah, small little craft. I have a very small bathroom. Okay, well, oh, imagine, yeah. imagine all of us. New, yeah, New York bathroom or like a suburban bathroom. Yeah. Let's go with New York bathroom, oh okay? Let's go Four with New York bathroom. In a... you, we're in my, you get to float, so, so like... My bathroom is in a part of my kitchen. There you go. <laughs> and that's... And that's, that's, so that's what, a lot like a spacecraft. Wait, the spacecraft <laughs> will be what size of this uh, stage? Like a, a fifth of it? The whole spacecraft or the living quarters? The, the, the stage. The stage is a good size. We, don't, we shouldn't probably have more than that. The fucking bathroom. Oh, that's like... It's... And I'm it's, shocked. It's... Shocked. <laughs> It's microgravity, so we're floating <laughs> on the way there if we don't have artificial gravity. You know, three of us can be up kind of toward the ceiling, three of us down here, so oh. you get the whole volume right. to work That's with. That's a very good You point. get more space, you get the whole okay. volume. It sounds like a That's, prison cell in space. It's, extri it's exploration in... Isolated, confined environments. Yeah, that's wow. But the food is a prison cell it's that's worth it. going somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, it's like the most neat prison cell. Right. Also, that's like Ask a great PR term for prison. You're like, it's an exploration and <laughs> maybe back to back to the gentleman's question. Maybe that's you know that's good training. We have to figure out how you know people who can uh, are not claustrophobic and who can work together really well in teams for a really really long time. Just the way people do in prison. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but what about... We have other analogs. We have a lot better analogs, like submarines. Well, yeah, you what know, about like a Antarctica. nuclear submarine? The crew's going to those things for a couple of years, right? Uh, and, uh, they, but and do, you, do you know any submariners? Are any submariners here? There you go. Oh, so there's a certain... Have you been around them? There are people... I don't know you, sir or ma'am, whoever whooped... Uh, but there's a kind of person that likes it. Yeah, that likes it. Likes to Wintering be over in, in Antarctica. Thing. You know? All right, so I, I'm hearing we got time for two more questions. So over here, sir. Yeah. Afternoon, and thank you all for coming. Uh, it's kind of jumping off of a previous question about the FTL, but this is uh, very specific, and it's for Deva. Uh, I would like to invite you to imagine and describe a future NASA that has the ability to travel faster than light, and what kind of missions uh, NASA would take on, and what kind of challenges uh, or uh, lack of challenges would be present. Okay, great question. Now, um, I'm just going to, I'm not going to go past the speed of light because really physics, let's invent some new physics we don't know about, but let's go really fast, as fast as we can. And we are going through, you know, the entire solar system. We're actually on our way there. Want to give a shout out to our Juno mission. Yeah. Hit Jupiter on July 4th. We have Juno Cam and it's citizen science. We open it up, we send you back HD images and say, hey world, where do you want us to point? Come explore Jupiter with us. So we're going throughout the solar system. We keep going. We've talked a lot about Mars here, but our science missions keep going. And again, that also counts Spaceship Earth, my favorite planet. We gotta learn about this planet, we gotta give our data, we gotta, it's serious, you know, it's urgent, we have to do the best we can. And uh, then maybe we go ocean worlds, or you know, after Mars, ocean worlds are up next. Uh, Venus is great, we wanna go everywhere. And uh, also, I have to give a shout out to our aeronautic side of NASA. Uh, Aero is still super cool. Our first X-plane demonstrator is a low, low, uh, um, low noise um, supersonic. So if we could skip off the atmosphere, we can go to Tokyo in an hour well, for $50. Right. So, Mach 1, 2, 3, 4, that's what we're looking at. You know, supersonics to hypersonics. So let me just so add, that's where we're add a little bit about Juno and, and uh, undiscovered physics. So I did the series of videos uh, in promoting the Juno mission a few years ago. By the way, Juno, for some reason, is not an acronym. It's, it's named after Jupiter's wife. It's named Juno. But one of the questions they're trying to answer, with a spacecraft in orbit around Jupiter is whether or not hydrogen can act like a metal. If you smush hydrogen down small enough, compress it at high enough uh, pressures, does it act like a metal? And this would inform a new kind of physics that uh, is not fully understood. And it's a classic example of spending a few hundred million dollars on uh, investigating something that we know a lot about, but clearly don't know all about. So check out the Juno mission. Solar-powered, furthest, biggest solar-powered yeah, mission no, ever. Yeah, uh, no plutonium. In our, in our, it's all yeah, solar, solar system. Thank all right, you so for the question. Last question. Knock it out of the park. Blow the roof off the dump. Hi. <laughs> Hi. All right, so uh, we talked earlier about, like, um, I mean, for example, like on Earth, the atmospheric composition supports us, and so we can just go walk outside. I don't have to wear a funky helmet or a spacesuit, although they are very cool. And there's um, a lot of them here. A lot. And, oh, actually, touche. We are at a Comic-Con. 
Um, and so uh, when you consider, um, I don't know, going somewhere like Mars, right? You saw the Martian, you kind of have all these little huts. Um, and so if you think about, you know, we're taking, we're going to take schools there and businesses there and live there and condos and maybe strip malls. Um, we're going to meet like a much larger environment than kind of the Hobby Lobby that's portrayed in the movies <laughs> and that you guys are kind of doing or will be doing on Mars. So has there been talks or do you have any thoughts on how you kind of take a city, say, like New York and put it on a place like Mars and how you artificially support that? I don't think that's the dream. I'll take New York and put it to Mars. Maybe some folks. Joe's from New York. She doesn't, you know. Uh, just the do pizza. This. Just the but, pizza. Uh, back to, to Earth. Earth, uh, again, spaceship Earth. Let's take Earth and shrink it down to a basketball. Okay? Earth, we shrunk it down to a basketball. Our life support system, that beautiful life support system you're talking about, three human hairs thick. That's what separates us right now from everything else we know out there on this beautiful planet. So, we think about going to Mars, we go with smaller missions, you know, four people at a time, repeated missions, things like that. Um, but right now, no you know, great plans, not in the 2030s, to take New York and transport it to Mars. Yeah, what? or even like Bethesda, like there's no plan. <laughs> yeah. So what I tell everybody, if you really want to go to Mars and you want to set up New York on Mars, go to Antarctica. Nobody lives in Antarctica. <laughs> no, but I'm not joking. You. People, there's a science station there, the several hundred penguins. people. They've made some very important discoveries uh, recently about the nature of our atmosphere and so on. But nobody goes there and buys a condo and decides to live there and look for a supermarket. It's Mars, it's at least that cold. And you can't even breathe, everybody. I mean, like, just get this... It's not like the it's good tough. old days of going to another <laughs> continent with your sailing ship and the and flag it, and yeah. planning. It's just really hostile, hostile place. I mean, the goal of Mars is basically to get as much information as possible to help us down here. And because it's cool, right? Like, there's, we're not actually thinking about living on Mars, right? Because what is the purpose? Yeah, the yeah, there are people. Is, if, you, yeah. if you talk to, you know, if you listen to Elon Musk or somebody like that, there are people that talk about wanting to establish life on Mars as an insurance policy against something happening to Earth. Now, in the long, you know, so that life won't all get wiped out. All, all of your organisms, your endangered organisms aren't living in the same little puddle. There's another puddle in case that one gets splashed dry. I think in the very long run, that's a noble goal. That's not really what we're thinking about now. We're thinking about science. We're thinking about human exploration and expanding our capabilities and what, what we know about. But I think, you know, the gentleman's question is a very interesting one. How would we go from just little habitats where we're experimenting and exploring to places that are self-sustaining where there's many, many people living? And I mean, part of the answer might actually be to do it underground because as Deva was saying before, there is this, this tricky uh, problem with radiation and one thing to do that is uh, one way to protect yourself is to live underground so maybe we'll have um tunnel cities it, like like they had in turkey you know in cappadocia where there are these whole cities underground i don't know david, uh, david would it ever make but it, in that case wouldn't it just make more sense to go to the moon than mars like if you just wanted to like have a second place that people were the moon would be much much easier right it's a lot closer it's easier and, and it's not like Somehow it's a vacuum, Mars so you is need better your life for us system. than the moon, right? I just got to say, like you guys, the Earth is where we live. I just, <laughs> just want to remind you all, this is an planet. extraordinary place. And if we do not take care of it, 
we will have a, a lot of us are going to have a hard time living here. And I'll here, here. I just want to. I know this is Star Talk, and we are talking about the stars, but really the Earth is our home. Hey, give everybody a hand. This has been a great panel. I got to say, this has been the, like the greatest Star Talk Live of my life. We've had some fantastic guests. We have Joe Firestone. She's. Uh, you can find her on uh, Twitter. She's King uh, King Firestorm. David Grinspoon, whom I'm sure you know as Dr. Funky Spoon. Dr. Uh, Deva Newman, who's uh, Deva Explorer, second in command at NASA, at Deva Explorer. Then uh, Hari Kundabalu will be a mainstream American comic. And then our beloved Eugene Merman from Bob's Burgers. Thank you all very much. You've been listening. I've been your host, Bill Nye. You've been listening to Star Talk Live. Ah, thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.